we all need heroes, no doubt. And one of those heroes of Northwest Arkansas has got to be known as Sam Walton. He's made an impact not only on us, but the entire world. But the great thing about heroes is heroes make a difference in our life. They invest themselves in us. They make a difference in our future. Well, there have been people who have invested in your life. They may not be a Sam Walton. They may be a teacher. They may be a coach. Who is it that's invested in your life? Who is it that you are investing your life into for the next generation? We're going to listen to some of the people who have helped shape our friends and how their lives are where they are today because of people investing in them. Uh, yeah, really, I, I, would, I wouldn't label any one person, but different people at stages in my life, from childhood all the way to today, in fact. Yeah, it's trying, to, trying to break it down to one person's hard. Um... Probably my father is the biggest impact. I'm not always going to say it's a good impact, but he's impacted me the most. He's very conservative, very judgmental. If I'm not like him, I'm not right. And so, like, a lot of things that I think I'm doing wrong, my friends are like, that's not wrong. That's just him being wrong at that. And I think that impacted me a lot. Like, I had to get a lot of help about that. Yeah, there's, I've had several people that have really impacted my life. Uh, there's maybe, maybe one or two people in that category that, that have helped me uh, kind of get through, you know, if there's a challenge or whatever it is. Uh, first and foremost, my parents. My mother. Yes. She is a very, very strong person. She is the glue that holds our family together. And, I mean, she's the one who's just always been there and always very strong. I, I've told my friends um, lately that my dad, I, I truly believe now my dad's the greatest man I know. Yes, I do, my best friend. I think that right now she's making some poor choices, and I'm trying to you know, get her to do things that might be better for her and for her family, you know. I have uh, a handful of people, actually, my grandchildren. I hope to leave a legacy for them, uh, my children as well, and I hope to be a better father as an, uh, an older adult than I was as a younger father. Uh, and as a grandfather, the same. I hope I can be as good a grandfather as my dad's father was to me. And then I have several young friends that uh, I get together with regularly. Oh, yeah, my boyfriend. <laughs> I'm trying to change him, and it's a lot harder than I thought it would be. I'm trying to get him to get a job, which he won't do, and it's just really stressful. And everyone's like, you need to get rid of that person in your life. They're bringing you down. It's like, I can't. I can't do it. I'm trying really hard. I can name a few right now that God's even thrown in my life, you know, between just meeting as friends and seeing them become believers and just being excited about what God's doing in their life now to, uh, to guys who, uh, a couple of guys who have been believers and have struggled through life, and I've done the same thing. And so since I've experienced that same struggle, I'm able to walk alongside of them. And uh, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, no matter where I'm at in my life, I always want to have guys that, that, that I'm discipling, that I'm pouring my life into, that I'm leaving that legacy of um, what God's doing in my life in them. All right. I tell you what, I've enjoyed listening to people from Northwest Arkansas and how they wrestle with, deal with, connect with, 
uh, processed life. This is not some Hollywood video street interview. This is on Bentonville Square. And these are people, some of the people you know are in this video. And so it's pretty cool to watch them over the past couple of weeks. And I wish that we had a microphone or maybe a video camera in front of you. We could hear your answers to that. Who's impacting your life? Whose life are you impacting in the next generation or in the future? Somebody has well said, and I don't know who it is, so I can't give credit for it but uh, to, to, to that person, but they said there's no real success without a successor. And I think that's a pretty good statement. Uh, it's not one of those that's easily lived out. But there needs to be a time, I guess, in our life when we, we realize, we come to the realization that our life will end, that th- we are not Im- immortal, that there will be a punctuation put at the end of our life. There will be, uh, you know, it will be over sooner or later, uh, some sooner rather than later, and you don't want to be on the sooner side of that. But we just need to realize that life is out there and it's coming to an end. And there's going to be punctuations at the end of our life. When the last chapter and the last paragraph and the last sentence is written in that last paragraph of the last chapter of our life, and the last punctuation mark is put on our life, what will it look like? Now, that sounds kind of like a morbid question to start off on a Sunday, but I guess it may be kind of where I am over the past six months. I've... Um, I've been a part of the burial service of two of my grandparents, and uh, that's never fun, um, and that's never fun at all. And I, in fact, uh, at the most recent one, my grandmother passed away a couple of weeks ago, and I did the funeral uh, service, and that's certainly never easy <laughs> on any on any terms, let alone when it's your own family member, and. Um, a couple of family members afterwards asked me, well, when I die, would you do my funeral as well? And uh, I'm thinking, I'll go home and tell Lori this. And I said, listen, I just picked up a few more gigs today. And uh, it wasn't exactly what I was looking for either. You know, you want to do a funeral, you want to pay respect, you want to do all that, but you're not looking to get more funerals under your, under your belt. Um, but on the same day that my grandmother was buried, I was actually literally driving back from the cemetery, and I was on I-540, and um, of course, all these thoughts are going through your mind, and I'm about 500, I'm about a half a mile behind an accident on the interstate where a truck comes across the medium, flips over, person's thrown out, and dies. And by the time I get there, they're doing chest compressions, and it was not good to come to find out. It was a guy I played high school football with. So on the day that I'm doing a funeral service for my grandmother of 85, I'm watching beside the road a friend of mine pass away, breathe his last breath. And I guess even this past week, whenever I was at the bank and going through the uh, uh, security box and putting some stuff in the security box, I was looking at what, what else is in here. And I found Lori and I's last will and testament. So I think it may be just where I am, where I am in life right now, that I'm just sitting here and I'm seeing death and mortality all in front of my face and realizing that, you know, my life will come to an end. Your life will come to an end. We all know that. One out of every one person dies. You know, it's a pretty good statistic that you're going to be one of the ones that's going to pass away eventually. But when it's all said and done, what will the punctuation be on the last chapter, the last paragraph, the last sentence in your life? 
And I think that's one of the things that I think at some point we need to think about it, and it's not the day of our memorial service. Obviously, we're not thinking at that point. So what is the last period, the last punctuation mark on your life? If it's a period, it might simply be that my life is done and it's over. That's it. Period. Done. Over. Finished. Didn't, you know, no big splash, no big anything. Just I lived, I worked, I had a family, I raised kids. And that's, that could be very admirable. Don't get me wrong. But I just kind of pulled them up and they took off. And that was it. Just a period at the end of my, end of my life. Maybe it's an exclamation mark in your life. Maybe it's an exclamation mark that whenever people look at your life and it comes to the memorial service of your life, they're going to say, wow, man, that was the life. They went out in a blaze of glory. They went out making a huge impact. They went out this and that, and, and it was just a beautiful life and the life that uh, any, anybody would want to live. It's just an exclamation mark at the end of your life. And I think you have to, as we're thinking about this, you have to think about what kind of punctuation is at the end of my life. Maybe at the end of your life it's a question mark. I think you and I both know people and have seen people who have lived their life, and really at the end of their life, you think, what was that all about? You know, they never found out where they were going. They were always asking questions and never had any answers, and life just was a great big question mark to them. Maybe it ends prematurely, maybe whatever, I don't know, but you just really look at their life and you say, what? That's a sad testimony and I hope that's nobody in this room. But I think if question mark is sad, I think an, another even sadder moment would be at the end of your sentence, at the last paragraph, the last chapter of your life, if at the end of it there was no punctuation. No punctuation means that there was not even a complete thought. They never really went anywhere. They really never did anything. They weren't even wondering. They were just wandering around with life. You know, there's, a, there's one more, I think, maybe way you can end a sentence of the last paragraph, the last chapter of your life, and that would be an ellipsis. An ellipsis would be that kind of thing that says it's unfinished, it's not quite done yet, it's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's here and here's part of the thought, but there's a thought continues on. There's a sequel to follow when you come to that. Now... I have to admit, I don't know which one that I would want most, but I certainly would like to have an exclamation mark at the end of my life. But I would also, I think I would like to have an ellipsis there. Something that would say that when Mike McDaniel was done, he lived an awesome life, he lived a good life, but you know what? His, his life wasn't finished, his life went on, his life lives on, his, his legacy is there, and his, it's in his children, it's in his peers, it's in his colleagues, it's in his church, it's in everywhere that he went and touched. There's, his life doesn't die here, it doesn't finish here, he's not now six foot under only. His life continues to tell a story. You know, I, and how do you create this legacy? This ongoing kind of legacy. And I kind of thought, okay, how do, how do people become famous and how do people become, create this legacy? I think one of the things, you can invent something. Now, if you're really creative and a real entrepreneurial, then you might be the next person who invents the next widget. The super duper widget. That, that, that thing out there, the Edison of the light bulb. You know, that's what he's known for is the, is the light bulb. Or Gutenberg in creating the, the, the printing press. But I like Augustus Jackson. He created ice cream. I kind of like that legacy too. 
So I don't know what it is that you're going to be famous for or what you're going to invent. But I promise you, if you invent something of value and something that adds value to life, then you will be remembered. Now, I also know my mathematical scientific skills are so limited. It will not be because I invented anything. It will not be because I invent something that creates a legacy in my life. So what else is there out there that maybe I can can do to have a lasting legacy that will go beyond me. And I think the second one would be to invest in someone. It's not just invent something, but maybe if I invested in someone, and if maybe I know people, I know a few things, I've picked up a few things, I've made a few mistakes, maybe I can share my mistakes with you and that you won't relive my mistakes. Maybe I can share with you my life and actually intentionally, with great intentionality, invest my life in you or someone else's life and that maybe whenever my life is over, there's going to be an ellipsis over you because of the life that I lived. That is what I have a better chance at. Now, unless you're going to invent calorie-free ice cream, then you probably won't make the record book. All right? Well, you, you can do something else. But, I mean, ice cream's been made. Light bulbs have been made. I think I could maybe have a greater chance on making a huge impact in this world if I were to invest in people. Take your Bibles. We find in the book of 1 Kings. We've been looking through the life of David, and we have done a very fast flyover in four weeks. We've done a very fast flyover of his life and looking at life and what made life successful for him and, and everything. And We mentioned over the past four weeks, and we concluded today in this whole Connect series, that we all need to connect up with certain people. Now, I'm not going to put names. I'm not going to put faces on them. I'm not going to give you phone numbers of people. This is the person you need to connect with because that would be, that would be manufactured, okay? That would be too programmatic. That's a better way to put it. This is going to be a dynamic, organic kind of event that will happen because you intentionally are living out looking for these four relationships. When you look for these four relationships and you really, 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 really connect with these four relationships and you invest time and energy and, and, and so forth, your life can go a lot further. And we've looked at David go from a shepherd boy to a king. We've seen the bumps and the bruises along his life. We've seen him lose family members. We've seen him uh, commit some horrible, heinous crimes uh, against man. I, we've, we've seen him rebound from that. We've seen all of this kind of stuff as this quick flyover of his life. But we notice that these four relationships clearly mark his life. One is companionship. can't live without it. You need it. Now, you can live without it. Excuse me. You can live without it. But your life can go maybe to a whole new level. For, for David, it was Jonathan in that companionship. Everyone needs a companion. Everyone needs accountability. For, for David, it was Nathan. Nathan kind of helped hold him accountable. Kind of helped help him stay in line, help get him back on track when he got out of line. Now, this is not a hired job that you get somebody. You, will you be my accountability partner? If the relationship's not there and it's not organic, dynamic, all that kind of stuff developing, then it probably won't happen. It'll be more of an academic thing. So look for that. You need to have environments. That's why we have been talking about kind of as a sidebar. We want to create environments where you can have a companion, find a, an accountability partner. We, we call those body life groups. This will be the last week. We'll have these signs up. I mean, you can still get into a group, but just understand that we're trying to create environments so you can find that companion, find that accountability person in your life. And, and three, that you can find acceptance and that you can give acceptance. 
Now, every one of these has you doing as much as receiving. As much as you want a companion, you need to be a companion. As much as you want accountability or need, account, need to give accountability, you also need personally in your life accountability. As much as you want to be accepted, you also need to accept people who are different than you, think differently than you, act differently than you. But today I want to give you one more, and probably today will be the less of all of them that will stir your crank right out of the, uh, turn your crank right out of the, uh, right out of the chute here. And everyone needs a protege. Everyone needs somebody that they can look at and that that person looks at them and they identify themselves as a protege. This is that person, it's a French word, and it means literally, uh, in its definition, it means a protection or to care for someone else when you have their best interest in mind. That I need to have, so here's how it is, I need to have somebody in my life that I'm investing my life into that I have their best interest in mind. Not my interest in mind, their best interest in mind. So that they will go further than they've ever gone before. So they can fly higher than they've ever flown before. That they can go the distance and not fall over on the wayside like so many people do. And maybe in my life, if I take my life experiences, my training, my, my, what little wisdom God has given me, if I can take all of that and invest that in somebody else, maybe, maybe, just maybe, their life will be better because of that. Bob Beal said it like this. He said the definition of a mentor. A mentor is, is the opposite of a, pro, uh, of a protege. Uh, a lifelong relationship in which a mentor helps a protege reach his or her God-given potential. How am I helping somebody reach their God-given potential? Ask yourself these questions. What am I passing on? And who am I passing it on to? I am passing on something. So what am I passing on? I'm passing on my anger, my temper, my, my attitude, my perspective, my prejudices. I'm passing it on whether I like it or not. So what is in my curriculum? What is in my life that I'm passing on to somebody else, to my colleagues, to, to my children? What am I passing on and who am I passing it on to? Look around you. Who's watching you? Who's following you? Who's listening to you? Who's thinking, who's thinking wanting to know what you're thinking? Who is in your life? If you're a teacher, you know all about this. If you're a supervisor of even one person, you know all about this. If you have children in your home, you know all about this. If you have grandchildren around you, you know all about this. If you're an aunt or an uncle, you know all about this. You have people looking at you, watching you, smelling you, tasting you, feeling you, wanting to maybe not be like you. Hopefully they do. So who am I? What am I passing on and who am I passing it on to? You're passing it on. Everybody's passing on to somebody. There's no way you can get away from it. I just hope we're passing on something of quality. Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob had Joseph. Moses passed the baton to Joshua, Elijah to Elisha. Peter passed it on to John Mark whenever he wrote the Gospel of Mark. Barnabas passed it on to Paul. Paul passed it on to Timothy. John to the Polycarp. You see it all through Scripture. You see it beyond Scripture. You see this passing on of a legacy. You know, even Yoda had Obi-Wan Kenobi. And Obi-Wan Kenobi had Luke. I mean, if, if you listen to Yoda, he says something like this, Always do there are, no more, no less, a master and an apprentice. Are you impressed? <laughs> I had to swallow my pride before I did that one. 
Socrates had Plato. In fact, Plato's entire doctrine of immortality was the fact that Plato could not even envision a life without his teacher and his friend, Socrates. Who did David have as his legacy? If you look at David, he had an impact, a rippling effect that went on and on for for many generations. Sixty-two chapters of the Old Testament are devoted to David's life. Fifty-nine references in the New Testament are about David's life. David had no doubt a rippling effect that went on from generation to generation. But who was it that he, with great intentionality, called out, passed down the baton of life? Because there's no doubt that he was a great man. He maybe didn't invent anything, but he had a legacy. The epitaph of his life is recorded in First Chronicles chapter 26, verse 28. It says he died as a, at a good old, in a good old age, full of days, riches, and honor. So that's David's epitaph. He was a man that had an exclamation mark at the end of his life. But I hope if you see David, you don't just see him as a rich man of honor, a a man uh, who died full of days, and a man who died with great riches, that exclamation mark of life. But I hope you also see David as having an ellipsis at the end of his life because he intentionally passed the baton down. And it wasn't to Absalom. We talked about Absalom last week. And it wasn't to Adonijah, a man, uh, one of his sons who had envy and entitlement all up and down his spine. But it was to a, another son named Solomon. And Solomon was the man that he passed the baton down to, his protege, so to speak. And in 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 1, this is what it says. As, David, as David's time to die drew near, he charged Solomon his son. He charged Solomon. He, he put the, 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 the challenge out there. He gave him some instruction. Now again, just remind, remind you, yes, this is a father to a son. This could be a mother to a daughter or a mother to a son. This is only the context in which we're looking at. It doesn't mean a woman can't do this. It doesn't mean that at all. In fact, we're just looking at David and we're looking at him because there's so much devoted to his life. It's really easy to see his life. But just hang with me on this because every one of us can with great intentionality help the next generation, help the next person behind us, help go to a new level. And that's why I say everyone needs a protege. Who is it that I am giving a charge to? One translation of the Bible says it. He gave him instructions. Now what is it that a king is going to pass down to a son to leave a legacy? I think we really got to understand in our life that unless we're passing it on with great intentionality, we're probably passing on something we really don't want to pass on. A Latin proverb says it like this, We learn, or by learning you teach, and by teaching you learn. Now I think one of the things that we can help our children, we can help our colleagues face, we can help those in our Sunday school class understand, we can help the youth that we might be mentoring, we can help our body life groups understand, is that there, is, there are some real issues in this life. And that when we are learning, by learning you teach and by teaching you learn, we realize that there's this cross-pollination event that goes on in a a relationship. That it's not a one-way street, I'm teaching you, now shut up and listen. 
It's actually us being in this relationship where we're giving and taking and taking and giving. And that's the kind of relationship a protege needs. Now, what is it then that, 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 that David makes sure that, that his protege needs to know? One thing, he needs to know life's hard. Life's hard. He also talks about how life is confusing. He also talks about how life is short. And it's understanding, okay, now life is hard. What do I do about it? Life is confusing. What do I do about it? Life is short. What do I do about it? I think if we can help people understand what do you do in those different circumstances of life, we will truly be a great mentor to a potentially awesome protege who may fly higher and go longer than us. Think about it. It was, it was Moses who invested in Joshua. And Joshua was the promised land man. It was, it was David who invested in his son Solomon who carried the monarchy on further and higher than the previous. So who is it that I am helping with life? Because life's hard, life's confusing, and life is short. There's three things that a protege needs to make sure uh, uh, he knows in life that a mentor can help them. Number one, life is hard, so man up. All right? Life is hard, so man up. Listen, it's, there's no free rides. There's no easy passes. There's no, it's all going to be easy from here. I don't care if you are a child born with a silver spoon in your mouth and you have this great inheritance and it's all going to be passed down and, and you've just got all of this coming your way. Life's hard, man up. That's exactly what David challenges in, him here in this passage. The thing is, is, this is, this is one of the things that's very much a confirmation for me. Because not only does David make sure Solomon knows this, but God makes sure Joshua knows this. There is tremendous parallel between Joshua chapter 1 and 1 Kings chapter 2. Beautiful parallelism that goes on here. Now hang with me on this, because I'm going to bring out as we're going along. Now what is the, what, what's, what's the irony of that? The irony of that is that they're in similar situations. One is succeeding the other. Okay, Moses is gone, so God's speaking straight to Joshua, but he's carrying the torch. The torch is coming down to him. But not only that, is they're going to make great accomplishments in their life. Joshua is going to take the people of Israel where they have been longing to go for years and years and years and years and years, the promised land. Solomon is going to take the throne of the monarchy that will carry it right on down to his next son. A little division there, but that's another message another day. Life is hard, man up. Verse 2 says it like this. He says, I'm going the way of all the earth. That's a polite way to say I'm dying. All right? I'm going the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and show yourself a man. I love that statement. That's the theme verse for our Man Up conference coming up. Show yourself a man. Prove yourself a man. Show me the stuff. You're being handed the baton to carry the torch, to to, to go further and longer than me because my life's coming to an end. So what are you going to do? Life's hard. You've got to man up. You've got to get some grit about you. You've got to get some strength about you. What was it that Joshua was told by God as he was taking on the baton from from, uh, uh, Moses? It says in Joshua chapter 1, verse 6, 7, 9, and 18, he says the same message four times. He says, be strong 
and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. That's a major message. Don't miss it. What was the message that David gave Solomon? The message was, man up. Life is going to be tough. It's going to be full of rocky roads. If you're going to be a promised land taker and a kingdom carrier, then you're going to have to man up. You're going to have to own up to to responsibilities. You're going to have to own up to your role. You're going to have to step up to the plate. You're going to have to, use any other metaphor you want to, you're going to have to prove yourself. That you're really, really able to carry the torch. You're not a man just because you can hold your liquor. You're not a man just because you can grunt louder, louder than anybody else. Just because you drive a loud Harley, and we'll hear them all day long going up and down the road. You're not a man just because you can sit all afternoon in front of the, the television and hold your chips on your belly and watch a NCAA football games all day long. That doesn't make you a man. That doesn't make you a man because your fantasy football team is better than somebody else's fantasy football team. It's a fantasy. Remember that. All right? We've got to understand, and, we, and I think this is where we're going to try to go in a couple of weeks with our men, is we've got to understand what it really means to be a man. What it really means to man up. Because the challenge in, in life is life is hard. It stinks. It's downright horrible. And weak need soft-centered, backbones of a wet noodle men will not make it. And will not make an impact. Women, the same, it's, 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 not, it's not inclusive or exclusive to the women. Women, you're going to have to woman up, all right? Don't dare man up, all right? It's not very pretty. Understand you have a role, you have a role to play. You're, you're being handed a baton if you're in Solomon's shoes. Be strong and show yourself a man. Life's hard, it takes courage. Helen Keller said it like this, life is either a daring adventure or it's nothing. Security is mostly a superstition. It does not exist in nature. Jim Whitaker, REI's first employee and the first American to climb uh, Mount Everest, said it like this, You never conquer the mountain. You conquer yourself, your doubts, and your fears. If I'm going to be a promised land taker, if I'm going to be a king that follows in the footsteps of King David, I'm going to have to be strong and prove that I'm a man. Because life will get tough. I will learn to discipline myself. I will learn to say yes when it's time to say yes and no when it's time to say no. Even when my body or my desires or my flesh says, you do it this way, I will say no because it's not the right way to go. I need to understand that. Reinhard Niebuhr mentored Dietrich Bonhoeffer in New York City for a number of years. Bonhoeffer was a a German um, man who was in the States and the, when Nazism was rising up in, in, uh, in Germany. And he was safe in America. Christians were being killed. Many people were being killed in uh, Nazi Germany. And Bonhoeffer was here in the States and until realize, he realized through the mentoring relationship that he had with uh, Reinhard Niebuhr, Niebuhr that he needed to go back to Germany. And in June of 1936, he wrote Niebuhr a letter and left it in the uh, New York City apartment 
for him to find. And this letter basically said that he needed to go back. He needed to stand against the Nazism of Germany. Well, as you would know, under, under that rule, uh, he was taken and imprisoned. He became one of the greatest models of Christendom in the 20th century before his death, because he was executed just days in April before, uh, in April of 1945, just before days before Germany is surrendering. He is, he is executed. Before he's executed, he writes a little book that is still today a classic. It's called Life Together. I actually read the book in preparation for this series of messages. And this is one of the quotes that I pulled out of the book. It says, let him thank God on his knees and declare in his grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in community with Christian brothers. See, he realized there's a value in relationships. It gave him the courage he needed to man up and prove himself to be a man. Solomon needed to be reminded, prove yourself a man. Joshua needed to be told four times in one chapter, be strong and courageous. Prove yourself a man. The problem is, is we men are not so strong. We can grunt and we can overpower and we can intimidate. But I think we've lost what real courage looks like. Real godly leadership, I want to follow you, not that you have to follow me leadership, looks like. We don't really know what real love looks like. We do conditional love. All the things that we're going to be talking about at our Man Up conference. So it fits perfectly with this message to realize that if I'm going to really have the impact in this world I need, I need a protege that I can be looking into their life and say, yes, life is going to be hard. Man up. It's not going to be easy. Number two, life is confusing. What do you say to that person? Life is confusing. Stay the course. Stay on course. Know what your course is. Get on that course and stay on course. There's a whole lot of confusion out there. I mean, there are more examples than I can give you. Sociologist Robert Bela said it like this whenever he was speaking with a woman who captured the spirit of, I think, this day. And she said, I believe in God. I'm, a religious, I'm, I'm not a religious fanatic. I can't remember the last time I went to church. My faith has carried me a long ways. It's Sheilaism. Just my own little voice. I think there's a lot of people out there that kind of create their own Sheilaisms or Mikeisms or Bobisms. And they just kind of create their own faith and kind of do it their own way. The thing is, is that I need something that's solid. G.K. Chesterton said something, said something like this. He says, the key about having an open mind is knowing when you have something solid in your mouth you can bite down on. You see, I'm afraid that we all have this open mind kind of mentality, and that's okay, that's good. But when you find something solid, bite down onto it, hang on to it, don't give it up, don't give it over. If you look at what David challenged Solomon here, look at what all he goes on to say. He says, prove yourself a man or show yourself to man. He says in verse 3, he says, keeping the charge of the Lord God to walk in His ways, to keep His statutes, his commandments, his ordinances, his testimonies, according to what is written in the law of Moses. 
that you may succeed in all that you do in wherever you turn, so that the Lord may carry out His promise that He spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons are careful in their way to walk, underscore the word walk there, before me in the truth, with all their heart, underscore the word heart, and with all their soul, underscore that word, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. See, David had a promise from God that if, that if who succeeds him and if he is a man who, who walks with God and who lives for God and, and so forth in this confusing, chaotic world, then there will never be a loss of a king. You talk about a legacy. Building a legacy, keeping a legacy. Life's confusing. Stay on course. What are two values that he tells us here that Solomon tells or Solomon is told by his father David that we need to hang on to? One value that every mentor must pass on is the value of lifestyle choices. The value of lifestyle choices. Now you'll notice two different times. It's said in verse 3. Walk in His ways. It's said, and I had you underline it, in verse 4, to walk before me in truth. This is a Hebrew word, halak, and it means to go on a journey. It's literally the same word that's used in, uh, in, verse, uh, in verse 2. He says, I am going on the way of all the earth. So what he does here, he says, listen, listen, Solomon, You need to understand that there are values and lifestyle choices, that you make good choices to walk before me in the truth, to walk before the Lord in the truth. Now, that's not a Sunday morning compartmentalized faith. I'll put it to you very clearly. If you're afraid to tell me or to tell anybody else in this room what you did last night, then you're not walking before the Lord in all the truth. If you compartmentalized your life in such a way that you live this way over here and this way over here, you're not walking before the Lord in all integrity and in truth. He encourages us to walk before Him in truth. That means our life is walking on a journey through life, making good life choices, good life decisions. Every protege needs to know that and needs to see it modeled. Every protege needs to see Dad taking the charge in the family, in Scripture, in prayer, in going on mission. Every, every, every child needs to see a mother who is loving and caring and patient because that is what it means to walk in the truth. It doesn't just mean to not follow after lies. It means to literally let the truth of God fall out of our life, come out of our life like fruit out of our life. The very first night of North Point, we talk about this, because I really tried to dispel this when starting Grace Point, that this is not a destination. You didn't arrive here, you didn't arrive at your faith, and then it's all over. No, this is a journey. And the journey is not finished. You know, your talk talks and your walk walks, but your talk, but your walk talks louder than your talk talk. Now that's a hard tongue twister for me to say, but it's very true. How is your walk? 
Think about it. Think hard about it. Are you walking in the truth? Is it a part of your life? The second value you've got to pass on to the next generation is the value of whole life commitment. He said, I want your heart and your soul, not just your head. Oh, my lands, the number of believers that I know that they got it in their head. They can spew off the verses. They can tell you when you're wrong. And they can maybe tell you when you're right, if you find them on a good day. They'll tell you all about doctrine. They'll tell you all about this. But you don't have their heart. You don't have their soul down to the core of who they are. He says it to us in, um, in verse 4 again. He says, Walk before me in the truth with all your heart, with all their heart and with all their soul. It means I'm there with everything that I am. I'm walking with God. I'm serving God. Model it. When you, when you pray, do you weep over those who don't know Christ? I mean, think about that. Christ wept over those who didn't know Christ. Do we weep? When I give, do I give as a cheerful giver or do I think about as many excuses as I can give about not to give? When God loves a cheerful giver. I think one of the greatest indicators of spiritual depth and growth in somebody's life is not whether or not they have been at church for so many years. They're giving. Because it's a life principle. I mean, Jesus talked about it in the Sermon on the Mount, but here's a life principle. Where your heart is, your money is, and where your money is, your heart is. See, what he wants is he wants all of us, not part of us. He doesn't want 10% of us. He wants 100% of us. When you work, do you work with excellence? Because in Colossians 3.23, it talks about God being our boss and working as unto the Lord. So a total life commitment in us. We're coming up on a series of the book of Colossians. It's going to be called Real Stuff. Because to be honest with you, I'm kind of tired. And I've said this before. I'm tired of North American, Western Christianity. It really makes me nauseous. And I think we need to kind of go back, all of us who have been in the faith for so many years, and we need to re-examine our faith. And sometimes we don't need to be 21st century Christians. Sometimes we need to think about us as 1st century Christians. How close am I to living out what the very authors of the Bible were living it out? Real stuff. 100% pure Christianity is what we're going to be looking at beginning in a couple of weeks. But there's, there's one other thing. Life's hard. Man up. Life's confusing. Stay the course. Finally, life is short. Prepare for the future. Again, David's writing or telling these words to his son and he gives a promise that if he does this, he says, you'll not lack a man on the throne of Israel. He tells us that in verse 4 and then down in verse 12. I love it when it says, And Solomon sat on the throne of David and of his father, and the kingdom was firmly established. Immediately, we need to be thinking of the future. Do you realize that when we talk about teaching our children on Sunday mornings, we talk about investing in our youth, we talk about investing in, we're actually preparing the next generation. We're not just trying to bide time so you can have a break. You know, what if, it, what if we took our class time 
that seriously? What if a middle-aged couple would, would see the value of their life and invested in a newlywed couple as they try to solidify their marriage? What if a middle-aged couple that's struggling with adolescence had, the, had an empty nest couple come along beside them and say, listen, I messed up a lot in this area. I'll tell you what not to do. I'll help walk with you through this. What if, what if we just began to invest our life in the next generation? Here's a life aim for you, and I'm finished. When you're born, you cried and the world rejoiced. Live your life in such a way that when you die, the world cries and you rejoice. I hope that, that you will, this day forward, look around you. We had people on this stage last week lined up from here to there. And the, the beautiful thing about that, and if you were here, you know what I'm talking about. I have one phrase for those who miss. You miss, you miss out. Can't relive it, can't redo it. It's, it was It was beautiful. But there have been, these people on the stage, I've heard from numerous ones this week that have told me, called me, emailed me, and said, I met this person, I talked to this person, I'm helping this person go through this issue. I'm not perfect. How do I do this? I'm struggling with this issue. I've talked to this person and this person has gone through this. You know what that is? That is a protege mentor. That is us investing our life in others so that they can become, as Bill said in the very beginning of the message, God's potential. Who's your protege? Let's pray together. You know, Jesus had 12 disciples. He understood the value of relationships. Just, just your head bowed, just your eye closed for just a moment. I want you to think about your life as it relates to Christ. Because when Christ came to this earth, He did not build a palace and He did not get a bunch of money and He did not do a whole lot of things. But one thing He did do is He got with people. He spent time with a ragtag group of guys and He invested His life in them. And the amazing thing is, is these guys received the baton from Jesus when He ascended into heaven. And they went and they carried that baton for many, many countries and places and cities and people. And many of them came to know Christ to the point that where we are here today. Do we understand the value of investing our life in others from a spiritual perspective? Some of y'all work for companies where you have to have mentors to move up the ladder. What if we had the requirement that you have to have a protege? Somebody you're investing your life in. Say, I need somebody. What if you had a pro- you were you were a protege and you had a protege? I just want us to reflect on the friendship of God today. As we close out this time and just think about our relationship with Him, His relationship with us, our relationship with others. And what if I could take, what if you could take your life and just pour it 
into somebody else's. Father God, we thank you for these moments. We ask your blessings on this time. In Jesus' name.